This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're hearing from small business owners on the impact of COVID-19 on their companies and their lives. Asahi Pompei, Global Head of Corporate Engagement and President of the Goldman Sachs Foundation, interviewed three entrepreneurs from across the country about their experiences with PPP loans, what's keeping them up at night, and how they're adapting their businesses to suit changing industries and a changing society. Now, over to Asahi for that conversation. Thank you, Jake. Today, I'm excited to be joined over video conference by three small business owners and graduates of Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. We're joined by Jenny Ripps, founder and CEO of Owl's Brew in New York, a beverage company that specializes in teas and botanical-based drinks. We also have Dana White, founder and CEO of Paralee Boyd, a blowout salon in Detroit, and Kari Parker, co-founder of Connie's Chicken and Waffles based in Baltimore. Jenny, Dana, Kari, thank you for joining me today. Let's dive right in and start with, how are you keeping your businesses going right now? We know that small businesses are in fight or flight mode. Thankfully, all of you have been approved or already received PPP funding. What's been the impact of COVID-19 on your business and how will PPP funding help you manage through this time period? Jenny, what's it like for you? So COVID-19 occurred at sort of a a critical moment for us as a business um, in a negative way. We were actually launching a new product, Boozy Tea, in Q1 and had had very successful launches in January and February. And all of a sudden, in the middle of March, as we were planning on launching a few markets, COVID hit, no one could gather. And, you know, we just things ended up getting pushed until May, June, who knows. Um, And what we had to do, we've been beefing up the company for all of this additional distribution was we had to make some really tough choices in terms of furloughing employees. I 100% know that we never would have gotten PPP funding through our bank. I just know based on the conversations I had with our bank. Um, And so Goldman Sachs helping us get PPP funding was like, especially at this moment, where we had to furlough people and didn't know what was going to happen, like in March, was the single best thing that could have happened in terms of being able to maintain employees going forward. We got our PPP funding at the end of April. Um, We're planning on bringing furloughed uh, team members back. And it just gave us a huge, huge sense of security and has been you know, one of the single most important things that has happened since the scary, the scary thing happened to everyone. Right. Dina, what's it like for you? Different business, blowout bar. Yeah. So Paralee Boyd is a walk-in only hair salon um, for women with thick and curly hair. And because we're walk-in only, um, we've had to shutter our, um, not just because we're walk-in only, but because we are a hair salon, we had to shutter our doors. So Receiving the PPP, thanks to Goldman Sachs and the CDC, we've had to shutter, but we can't use it um, because we have to be able to operate. And, and with the state guidelines and the executive order, we cannot not service our guests within six feet of each other. So what we're trying to do is just make sure that you know we'll try to bring some people back for some administrative stuff, but we're really hoping that once the executive order is lifted, we'll be able to service our guests and use that PPP to help get us through that initial couple of pay cycles um, while we're ramping up business. 
And Kari, I know you have two locations, both Delaware and Baltimore. So tell us about how Connie's Chicken and Waffles are faring. Yeah, so Connie's Chicken and Waffles, when COVID-19 hit us, it, it hit us pretty hard. Of all of our locations, only one is still open at this point. It, it, it impacted us mainly because, you know, we have to be able to have a customer experience and, and work one-on-one with our customer However, now we're in a situation where all of our, like 90% of our services delivery, maybe 10% is takeout. So at this point, our biggest focus is on reopening our locations. And we're so thankful for the Goldman Sachs CDC um, helping us get in the PPP loan. That's going to enable to bring our team members back at the locations that are closed and you know, give them salaries and get them back paid. And we're really excited for it. Now, I know even with PPP funding, it's still extremely difficult to be a small business owner. What's been the biggest challenge that you're facing and what's keeping you up at night? What now is keeping me up at night is appropriately using the PPP. You know, the the standards are changing hourly, what we're allowed to do. I mean, generally, you know, we can use it for employment. We can use it for utilities and rent. But you also want to make sure you're doing that right. Right. And that you're having a financial plan that makes your loans forgivable. I don't think any business owner when, you know, we were struck with COVID-19, this this pandemic, that any of us wanted to go into debt or more debt. And so my fear is, you know, with the constantly evolving standards around loans that Carolee Boyd will be in more debt. And so I'm wondering, I just want to make sure that it goes towards employees since I can't bring my employees back within, you know, 48 or 72 hours of receiving funding. What do I do? The other thing that keeps me up at night are, are my staff. You know, some of them are making more on unemployment. So my concern is, you know, who's coming back? Some of them are scared. I think a lot of us are questioning. I know I did in the beginning. What kept me up at night in the beginning is to open or not to open, to stay open or to close. So now, now that I'm through that, it's a matter of, well, how are my staff feeling? Are they coming back? Have they had a change of heart and want to pivot in their lives? So, you know, those are the two things that keep me up. Proper usage and, and how is my staff? Proper usage and concerns for your staff. Jenny, what's it like for you? What's keeping you up at night? So, I mean, of course, business issues are keeping me up at night as well. I think every, I have an hour or two in the middle of the night or the next morning, I have a new idea of something that we should do or something strategic. Um, But it's also been like, I think so many people who are parents have had just an extraordinarily hard time with this work-life balance thing. And, you know, pre-COVID, I kind of felt like I had it, I had a good handle on that balance and, you know, being here with homeschool, which I think everyone, every parent in the U.S. is experiencing homeschool. It's just, I've never felt so guilty about being a parent and being an entrepreneur before. I mean, balancing, and I've had to take a hard look at myself as someone who, I thought I was very type, you know, I'm, I'm type A. I thought I had a really good ability to prioritize in my business and my home life. And this is at a completely new level. And I've just really had to learn how to adjust to, okay, I'm going to get three things done today. So what are those three things going to be? And are those the right things for the business and like for my family. Um, so that's been, you know, like, I don't know, my son got a tick bite in his neck the other day. And I was like, okay. And I had a board meeting. 
like within an hour. And there was my quarterly board meeting. And I was like, okay. So I got into the doctor. I was 10 minutes late for the board meeting. But those are things that don't happen in New York City when the kids are in school. So it's, it's the moments like that that are sort of keeping me up, I would say. Yeah. And even with the three things, you're like, if I get to the two, that's okay too, you know? Two hundred percent or three. 75. It's, it's really just trying to do the best I can, knowing that it's not going to be the best it would be in a totally different scenario. Kari, I'm hoping you're going to say I'm getting a lot of sleep and nothing's keeping me up at night, but I somehow suspect that's not going to be the case. You're totally right. I'll tell you, uh, I feel like we work 24 hours a day nowadays. The biggest thing I think is keeping us up at Connie's is our team members. Um, and when I say that, that I mean that the health and safety of our team members, because right now COVID is still kind of uncharted territory. I feel like at first, you know, we were wearing gloves. Now we're wearing masks. And, um, you know, I think the transmission is kind of questionable. Some folks just don't know. So us being on the front line serving um, our customers, one thing that really keeps me up at night is, is the, the health and safety of myself and our team members. Um, are they properly social distancing? Do they have a likelihood of, of getting COVID themselves? You know, and um, so our health and safety is probably one of the most paramount issues at this point. So we've talked about concerns about our staff, our work-life balance, using the PPP well, but we also have to think about the long term. And we seem to all realize that even when we're quote unquote back to work, the world has changed and it won't be the same as it was in 2019. So my question is, how are you pivoting to adapt to a changing economy, a changing industry, a changing society? What about you, Kari? I think the biggest question that we're wondering is customer demand, because we focus on providing a food experience. We, we, we feel that food service and business in general should not be transactional in a sense where we provide a service and folks provide money and that's it. We feel like we're a part of our community. Well, we know we are a part of our community. So that connection means a lot. So our biggest concern is going forward. How will the, the change of society affect our ability to provide our customers with an authentic and true food experience. So that's one thing that, that really we're really thinking about. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jenny? Yeah, so we've had to pivot an extraordinary amount and short term and also long term. I mean, so my product, we, we were just launching a product in Q1, um, Boozy Tea, which is a spiked sparkling uh, tea. And our entire strategy was traditional beverage, right? So field activities, working with restaurants on premise, we were doing 40 happy hours a month in New York city, which is not, not happening now. So, I mean, sort of both short-term and long-term we've had to be like incredibly nimble. Um, I have to say, you know, we've been lucky to have the ability to be nimble because, because our product is, um, you know, unlike, the others on this call, our product is sold in grocery stores, which is essential. You know, we've been able to operate a kind of half mass. So we've been able to focus on grocery. We've been able to say, okay, it's no longer happy hours, parties, events, and restaurants. It is, um, you know, partnering with delivery services like Drizzly and Minibar. It's um, figuring out are there direct-to-consumer opportunities that we can identify. So, and I think that's going to be going on for a long time is sort of the the traditional 
beer spirits industry has been flipped on its head and we're just trying to be as effective as possible in, in navigating th- those waters. Yeah. What about the salon business, Dana? And you've touched upon this in some of your rem- remarks about, you know, how, the, how things could look like beyond this. Yeah. And so, you know, that has been outside of the word COVID or coronavirus. The next big word for me has been pivot. Right. I I think I've said that word like a million times since we've started going through this. And so for Paralee Boyd, I had to grow up in order to pivot. Our only um, revenue stream was servicing guests, walking only seven days a week. Um, But I had to grow up in the fact that I had to start looking at the different ways that, that I wasn't, the different things I wasn't utilizing in Paralee Boyd, the different revenue streams, such as retail products, such as online sales, YouTube tutorials about how to care for your hair at home, right? So this time has, you know, made us all, you know, rethink how we're going to interact with our customers. And so for me, it's, it's been a matter of the vision. We had plans just like Jenny, you know, we had plans for this year, you know, specials we wanted to introduce, new products, new tools, new treatments. Um, and that has been put on hold. Now the focus is, you know, hair care products um, and and having an online presence. Um, so our the Paralee Boyd experience can not only happen in Paralee Boyd, but you can have a part of that in your home. What I'm hearing from all three of you are stories about pivoting, as you described, Dana, about, you know, growth, Uh, you call it growing up, but it's about, you know, growth of uh, yourselves as entrepreneurs and also your businesses in dealing with uh, dealing with the crisis, skills that will last a very long time. Pivoting a little bit in the conversation, recent small business surveys have found some some pretty stark disparities in funding outcomes between black business owners and their peers. On average, the results show that black business owners are less likely to apply for funding, PPP funding, and were less likely to be approved for a loan. They were more likely to have their personal finances hurt by the current crisis. Any reflections or perspectives on that very stark reality? Maybe Kari? Yeah, so I'll tell you, um, just in talking with peers throughout the industry, it seems to be Black-owned businesses in general don't always have the resources that other businesses may have. Um, Specifically, I was speaking with a food truck operator, and he was telling me how he already has a problem finding adequate staff. So now when it comes time to apply for the PPP, he goes to his bank, and now his bank is kind of in a situation where they're directing him to the website, and he's not really getting the handheld interaction that he would like to have. And then he realizes that maybe he can't even apply for the PPP because it's only him and maybe one other team member, and they're not necessarily on a structured payroll. So I think that um, within the Black community, that's something that really has hurt us. Yeah. Dana, any observations you've seen? Yeah, you know, I... I don't think that the SBA, you know, when their first round of funding went through and said, you know, hey, no black, this black owned, no, no black owned. I think the problem is systemic, as are several other problems that are facing the African-American and minority community. Right. And so I've spoken similarly to Kari. I've spoken to business owners, you know, 30 years in business and, you know, okay, they need your profit and loss for this grant. What is that? Right. And so the I, I think that is 
I think that is a part of the problem. I think my issue, again, is I was too small for my bank. My bank will court me. Oh, minority women business. Come on. Come on. And, and you'll go. Oh, yes. Yes. And then when the rubber meets the road, I was too small for my bank. So that has me rethinking my business relationship with my bank and looking at banking institutions that can support me through this crisis or just in the operations of my business. I think the other thing that affects minority businesses are our network, right? Which is too, our network is not as empowered as other people's network because systemic and generationally, you know, there's a billionaire I met and he's, oh, I did it. I didn't know you didn't. Your grandfather laid railroad to the West. You want me to tell you what my grandfather was doing (laughs) when your grandfather had the opportunity to lay railroad to the West? And so that's why it's important for organizations like the 10KSB program at Goldman Sachs, because it gives us the network. It gives us the opportunity to say, you know what, I may not have that relationship with Bank A that just gave out $100 million to 10 businesses, but I have a relationship with a bank that could partner with another smaller bank that can help me. So I think the issue is just systemic and has been, it's just part of the long-term issue that affects minority businesses, the access to the network and the access to resources, like Kari said. Yeah, some systemic uh, issues that you can see in stark play, even with the medical results related to COVID-19 and, and exactly. there, as well as reflected in the small businesses. Everyone talks about small businesses being the bedrock of society, the foundation of our economy. And we all definitely agree with that. It goes without saying, however, that small businesses are also the foundation of our communities. And Kari, you talked about this as well, about your uh, concern for your greater community. How are you supporting your community during this time? And on the flip side, how are your communities supporting you? Jenny, what are you seeing? So, I mean, we kind of, again, because our product is a CPG, it's a consumer product, our community is kind of like the community of grocery, the community of conventional grocery or specialty grocery. And, you know, what's been talking about systemic issues as we've been talking about before, of course, like I applaud like the doctors and nurses that are out the front line, but the people that are keeping this, the United, this country fed are the people in grocery stores and the people in CVS. I mean, that is literally, and that's actually one of the only functional parts of this economy right now, which is like incredible. Like, my family is fed because the grocery store is open. I mean, since I'm not able to go to restaurants. Um, and so, you know, we're a small business. We don't have gobs of money and we're preserving any money we have right now. But one thing we've wanted to do to give back to our community is we've created, and also, by the way, Americans are drinking a little bit more now, which, you know, like kicking back the end of a tough day, tough moment, tough homeschooling, which is kind of what we're doing. Um, And so what we've done is like through Instagram, we've said, hey, any essential workers, whether you're a doctor, nurse, CVS worker, um, Whole Foods checkout person, like reach out to us and let us know if we can send you a care package. And we have a whole department of nurses at Columbia Presbyterian in New York, whose favorite flavor is our green flavor, which is like white tea watermelon. We've also been sending packages to like, like people at CVS, Rite Aid. And we, it's like, it's amazing for us. We get responses, which is, which were kind of like, this was like, this lit up my day. This made my team happy. And so 
you know, we have very little to give monetarily, but sort of sending these happy making packages or moments um, has been really meaningful for us as a company. So that, that's what we're doing for in terms of sort of giving back to our community. I love this concept of happy making moments. I feel like I need more of those uh, more than ever. Kari, um, what's it been like for you in terms of the community? Uh, very similar to Jenny said, um, our big thing is focusing on keeping our connection to the community. Um, so far, we've done things like every single package that we can, we, we write on, we write like little nice words or messages so that when our customer actually gets the box of food, it kind of brightens their day, kind of keeps the community connection alive. Um, another thing we've done is we've given out free face masks to the community. You know, no purchase necessary. Just come by and get a face mask. Just one of many ways we're trying to remain in touch with our community. This morning, we're actually giving away donations to a local hospital to keep that community connection. And on the flip side, customers have really given us back that energy. They've um, went online, as Jenny said, and, you know, left nice messages, sent us messages on Instagram. Uh, it's just been overwhelming. I love to hear that because that cycle of you guys writing something nice, then the cycle of them, it's sort of a little bit of a virtuous circle of kindness during this time. I hope it'll all stay, you know, when, uh, when, we're, when we're back to work. I want to ask you a question about leadership. You each run teams. What are you learning about leadership in crisis and where change is, is a constant and perhaps the only constant? It'd be interesting to hear your reflections, each of you lead teams. Dina? Yes. Yeah, so what I've learned is, you know, and, and I'll speak in an analogy, as a leader of a team, we don't have the luxury to panic. So if the plane is going down and the people are screaming in the background, oh my gosh, right? You have to guide the ship the plane to a safe place, right? And so for me, it's been a matter of remembering that I am an entrepreneur. And so I have to make sure that, you know, with all that's going on, yes, my team is afraid. Yes, I am afraid, but I don't have time to cry. I need to, but I don't have time. I need to get my people paid, get my people protected and get my guests safe. And so in order to do that, I need to work. And in order to work, I have to stay up. I have to be on webinars. I have to be on phone calls. I've applied to over 14 grants and three loans and a partridge in a pear tree, right? And so I don't, you know, people, oh my God, I'm so bored. And oh my goodness, I, I can't watch another movie. What, what movie? <laughs> as, a, as a leader of your team in crisis, you have work to do. You have to steady the ship. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're, you, you know, with business owners, there's four tenants, right? It is what it is, right? With COVID-19, it is what it is, right? Second thing is we have to deal with it. Most of us business owners operate with a good and noble purpose. We're not trying to get over on people. We're not trying to take or hurt the community. We're trying to provide a service or a product that helps. And lastly, get out of my way, right? Like get out of my way. Um, put my S on my chest, put my cape on and get to work. And you lead your team by acknowledging what we've been through, where we are now. And you tell them, this is where we're going. This is your captain speaking. We're going to land in that ridge over there. Everybody take some deep breaths, right? That's it. I love it. It's fierce and fantastic. And my, I'm like, we're Sully Sullenberg. We're, we've got to land. Sully, we've got to land it. Flying on us. 
Um, yeah. and, and we're cognizant of that. Kari? Leadership to uh, us at Connie's means that we're staying in touch with our team members. We're checking in, we're having Zoom calls, we're asking them how they're doing, not just on a professional level, but also on a personal level. The leadership also means to me personally, I'm not going to answer every single question they may have correctly, you know, but I'm going to give them the best answer I have at the time with the information that, I, that I'm currently working with. And um, our team members respect it. They know when they come to myself or my co-founder, my brother, they're going to get the best information we have at the time. And we're going to help them through any situation they're with. So I would say just taking the leadership role and not feeling like we have to have the right answer, but making sure we're communicating any information we have to them in real time. Yeah. Genuine, authentic, and, and upfront. Jenny? Yeah. I mean, so for, for us, um, and I agree with everything, you know, that was said, but for us, you know, it's sort of interesting because we're operating still, but kind of at half mast and I'm operating, as I said, kind of, you know, with, with limited time. So this has become almost like it's been incredibly important for me to understand my role as a leader, almost more than any other role that I normally play in my company. Cause normally I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but right now what I need to be is a leader and that's what I have time to be. And what that's kind of boiled down to us is three things, team culture and communication. And so I'm right now prioritizing three things as a leader within my company, communicating with my co-founder. We have um, co-founder breakfast typically once a week, every Monday, and we're keeping those. So every I, I'm on a Zoom call with Maria every week on Monday morning, communication with our team. And our team has pulled together in an incredible way, knowing that some people have been furloughed, you know, but they're aligned in terms of what, you know, Dana said, we're landing here together and it's going to be a good place. And thirdly, we have shareholders in our company, you know, equity shareholders and communicating out to them that we're protecting the business and we're going to get somewhere that we have a way to navigate through this and a plan. So it's all about communication and about maintaining culture for us. All of these leadership tips have been great to hear. And in particular, I feel like it's it's something that any entrepreneur listening, any business owner, any person listening could take away about managing through crisis with humility and honesty, true leadership with balance. And so I want to thank each of you for joining us today. I want to thank you for your resilience, for your entrepreneurial spirit, and know that we're inspired by, by you. I feel energized on the back of this conversation. And so thank you so very, very much. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, we hope you subscribe to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And tune in for our weekly markets update Friday morning, where leaders around the firm provide a quick take on markets and what's going on in the economy. This podcast was recorded on May 8, 2020. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast.
In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.